We're going to pick up where we left off last week in our study of the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. And I've titled this sermon today, All You Need Is Love. All You Need Is Love. And some of y'all, I heard, I heard it. When, as soon as I said it, somebody started saying, all you need is love. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Didn't you? Didn't you? Tell the truth. Right? And some of you young people are like, what in the world? What is all you need is love? I'll break that down for you a little bit. This series of The Servant King is all about, it's all about Jesus and the posture that he takes as he deals with, with people and and how he comes to us with such a humble approach as a servant, but yet he is king of all. And in his, in, his, um, in his position as God the Son, he is omniscient. He knows it all. He knows everything. And here's what he wants you to know. He wants you to know how much he loves you and how much he wants you to express his love to others in return. How many, how many of you ever heard that, that term, pay it forward? You know, we can never pay the sacrifice that Jesus paid. We can't. But I tell you what, we can follow in his footsteps and perpetuate his love that he's placed in our hearts as followers of Christ. Amen? So I want to just do a little recap, just kind of go back and grab some things and bring it forward. Today is, is uh, in, in, in this text, is Tuesday of Passion Week. All right, it's Tuesday of Passion Week. Jesus has already made his triumphal entry. He's already cursed the fig tree. He's gone in and he's cleansed the temple. And now over the last few weeks, we see him engaged in conversation with the religious leaders of the day. And, and today, in this text, He's engaged in what, I, what could possibly be the most lopsided debate in all of recorded human history. Seriously. The, the, these guys, had, they had no chance. You know, I, I remember I mentioned to you last week that, that trial lawyers and politicians are taught early on that, that you never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. Because if you do, it's a perfect way to get ambushed in your own words and in your own questions. But then once again, once again, you would think that two times, two of the previous times, they'd have got this, but they didn't. The religious leaders try to trap Jesus, and they'd ask him a question that they thought they had an answer to, but he had a better answer. They should have remembered who they were dealing with. If you recall last week, I said that, that this setting was somewhat like a, a town hall meeting where you got carefully prepared questions and, and they're bouncing these questions back and forth in, 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 uh, in the presence of, of a crowd of people who, who are on looking and they're listening to what's going on as this dialogue takes place. And, and you would think that these people had ganged up on Jesus so he wouldn't have a chance. You had the chief priest and the scribes and the Pharisees, and the elders, and the Herodians, and the Sadducees. Did you get that? The chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees. They had all teamed up against Jesus. They ganged up on him. So here you have these experts of the law, and the law enforcers, all representatives of the Sanhedrin court, who was the authority over all religious matters, and they had teamed up on Jesus, man. <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't think that it was a fair fight, would you? 
all these high-powered, high-pollutant, you know, ultra-studied, super-religious people. It wasn't a fair fight. Not at all. They asked Jesus three questions in an attempt to trap him. The first one was a political question. It was a question of allegiance. Render unto Caesar that, that is Caesar's. Remember that? The second question was a doctrinal question. It was a question on marriage that Jesus took. I love how Carl did this. Jesus took that question and he brought it around to what the real issue was, spoke to them on being on the resurrection, and he would be the authority on that because he said, I am the resurrection and the life, right? Stumped him on that one. The third question is the question of the day. It's the question that we're going to hit today. And it's, it's an ethical question. It's an ethical question that requires discernment and judgment. In the end, at the end of this question, Jesus asked them a question. And, and this question, I think the only way that I, I know to describe it, this question is like the knockout punch, man. It's like a, a one-hitter quitter. You guys ever heard that one-hitter quitter? You know what that is? Okay. Okay, for those of you who don't know what a one-hitter quitter is, a one-hitter quitter is you're in the ring or in the octagon or, or in a street fight, and, you hit, and somebody hits you, and all it takes is one time. Bam, boom. Knockout punch. Everybody say knockout punch. Jesus hits these guys with the one-hitter quitter. Bam. Out. So, so, so here's the text. Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and that made the, the Pharisees happy because they didn't like the Sadducees anyway. And then we pick up where, where our text picks up today. Look at what it says. It says, one of the scribes, seeing that he answered them well, and by the way, the answer that Jesus gave them was brilliant. It was brilliant. Let's pick it up in verse 28. Matthew 12, are you there? How many brought your Bibles? Let me see your hands real high. Okay, how many forgot your Bibles? Let me see your hands real high. How many of you are going to bring your Bibles next week? All right. Listen, LifeSpring Bible Church. Okay, listen, listen. I'm going to take my time here, man. We got time. I'm going to take my time. I'm not going to take a lot of time. I'm going to take my time because I got, I got to lay some foundation right now, and, and, uh, and then I'll come back and give you some practical applications. So I will land the plane. What would you say, baby? Okay. My wife said, just listen to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and, and heard them, being the Sadducees, disputing with one another, And seeing, everybody say seeing. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There is no other 
commandment greater than these. What Jesus is doing is he's quoting to them the Shema out of the Old Testament. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses uh, 4 through 9. But we, we focus today on verses 4 through 5. And he's also combining the Shema with another text in Leviticus where he cites Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, that says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Verse 34, verses 34 through, or 29 through 34, are all about these two commandments. It's all about these two commandments. I want you to write down this passage, Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, because this is a companion passage in, found in the synoptics where Matthew gives you a bit more detail. And it'd be worth going back and comparing because there's some things that Matthew points out that Mark doesn't point out. And one of the things that Matthew says is that Jesus makes mention, he says, listen, in verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. On these two commandments hangs all the laws and the prophets. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. What is Jesus saying? He says, listen, all you need is love. That's all you need. Now let me set something straight here real quick because we're not talking about some whimsical, circumstantial, superficial, artificial love. We're talking about Agape love. The love of God. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus is saying, listen, really, when it comes down to it, that's all you need. And listen, listen to what he's saying here as well. If you have godly love, you will love God. If you have godly love, you will love God. And if you love God, you'll love the things that God loves. And God loves people. <laughs> and so Jesus' response here to, to these religious leaders is a strong rebuke. Here's what he's saying here. You love your rules. You love your regulations. You love your processes. You love your long robes. You love your don't do and you love your do-do's. It's a bunch of crap. Man, mm. but you don't love people. You exploit people. Mm. And if you really love God, you'll love what God loves, and God loves people. That's what Jesus is saying here. I love what Dr. Crawford Loritz has to say about this. He says, right theology is always manifested in love for people. If our theology doesn't make us passionate about what God is passionate about, and God is passionate about people, then our theology is wrong. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Turn the page just a little bit, because I want you to pay attention to how Jesus responds to this man, this scribe, this, this, this lawyer, this teacher of the law. Because I believe that Jesus sees this man in the moment is experiencing kairos. 
Do you know what Kairos is? Okay, who doesn't know what Kairos is? Okay. There are two forms of time the Greek gives us. One is chronos, it's chronological time. I like to say from the time you draw your first breath until you exhale your last. Time. Chronological time for us individually along the scope of eternal time as God has placed time in eternity. You with me? Okay, that's chronos. Kairos, family, is a moment in time. It's a moment where the kingdom of God and the reality of God, who God is, invades our reality invades our kingdom and produces a moment in time where it is undeniable that God is trying to speak to you. That's Kairos. I believe that Jesus sees this man is experiencing Kairos. And so what he does is he takes two passages from, from, from the, the, uh, all the, the 613 commands found in the Old Testament, in the Torah. He takes two of them and he combines them together. And then he enters into discourse with this man, with this scribe, and he tells him the sum total of all the laws that you are so effective and efficient at are summed up in these two laws. These two. And it's at the end of this discourse that Jesus tells him after this man has repeated everything that Jesus has said in his own words, Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're getting it. The light is coming on. There's a lesson in this for us. Man, the Holy Spirit was counseling me on this all week, Lord Jesus. So now he's going to counsel you because I'm going to give it to you. Here's a lesson. Even if we don't agree with someone, we can still talk to them. We can still enter into willful dialogue and discussion with someone, even if we disagree with them. Here's why. Because who knows what God might use you to say to drop a nugget of truth that might totally unlock something that's been locked up in the, on the inside of them. We don't know. Right? So here's a key statement. Sometimes it's in the midst of extenuating circumstances that people surrender their lives to Jesus. How'd you get that, Pastor? Jesus is, Jesus is like he's surrounded by people who are trying to trip him and trap him, right? Extenuating circumstances. He's, he's got a, a tornado going on around him, right? But it's in the midst of that that he stops for a second, Pauline, and he focuses in on this guy that comes to him, and Jesus sees a glimmer of light in his, and he stops, everything stops, and Jesus focuses on that one guy. Sometimes when things are going on in our life, family, that, you know, we don't, we, man, why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why are all these things, why am I, why do I feel like I'm in a hurricane? Stop and check your spirit because most of the time your spirit is trying to communicate with God and your spirit's at peace in the midst of the chaos. And it's in that moment that you're at peace that God can speak a word to you that may not only just change your life, but change the circumstance of, the, of those who are connected to you. 
There's a reason. There's a reason Pelzetta prayed this morning. God, there's something going on in some families. Protect these families. Don't get angry or upset when things get out of whack. Check your spirit in the midst of the chaos and see if God will allow you to speak a word that will bring peace and truth. None of that's in my notes. It must have been for somebody. So, Verse 34 tells us that Jesus answers their questions and that no one dares say anything else to him. Now the story shifts a bit because Jesus begins to take the offensive. He begins to test them on their true, everybody say true. He begins to test them on their true knowledge of who the Messiah is. In other words, Jesus said, you've been trying to trap me all this time, now I'm going to lay a trap for you. And he lays the perfect trap for them and they walk right into it. They walk right into it. And here's why Jesus did it. Because he knew that they had already rejected him. They rejected him because he, he wasn't who they thought he would be. You see, the people of Israel were looking for a conquering king. They were looking for a king that would come in the likeness of David. A conqueror. A conquering king that was a warrior king that would deliver them from the oppression of the evil Roman Empire. And so that's why when Jesus, two days earlier, had taken his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, everybody was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? Save now. It's our time. So they were looking for, they were looking for a king in the likeness of David. But maybe what they forgot is that, is that David... David has some issues in his life that God wouldn't even allow him to build the temple. I think it's 2 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 10 says that, that because David was a man of war, God said, I can't allow you to build the temple because you've shed too much blood. Watch this. Jesus, a man of peace, comes in the spirit of peace. He's not shed any blood. He is the temple. So he doesn't come as a man of war. He comes as a prince of peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He comes as the Prince of Peace. So Jesus says, listen, you're looking for me to come as in the likeness of David as a man of war, but I didn't come like that. So since you won't receive me, let me just, let me just, put, let me just put it out there for everybody to see. Just show you, let me just show you and everybody else what your heart is really like. Now again, in the companion text in Matthew, Matthew adds some clarity here. In Matthew, Jesus' statement that we see in Mark is really a question. He, he frames it in the form of a question. What do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? <laughs> Jesus is so smart. And they say, well, he's the son of David. And Jesus says, well, if Messiah is the son of David, how is it then that David in the spirit 
calls him Lord. That's a reference to Psalms 110 verse 1. And that reference uses two different names for Lord. The first one, and by the way, neither one of those names represent any, any human being. The first use of the reference God here is Yahweh or Jehovah, the unspeakable name. Every Jew would know that. The second is Adonai, which is always used for God. Every Jew would know that. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, Messiah is Lord and I am he. Here I am, but you're rejecting me. So Jesus opened them up, exposed their heart in front of everyone for their superficiality and their insincerity. How many of you know truth always demands a response? It does. When you face the truth, you, you have a decision to make. We get two responses here, the people's response and the leader's response. Here's the first response. How do the people respond? Mark tells us that the people were astonished at his teaching. They marveled at him. They heard him gladly. Mark also tells us that the religious, religious leaders responded a different way. They sought ways to arrest him, to trap him, to destroy him, to kill him. And then finding none, they just shut up, they retreated, they isolated, and they refused to ask him any more questions. Now, I want to get to the practical application here for us today. How should you and I respond to Jesus today? Let me offer you two suggestions from our text. Here's the first. We should respond by loving and serving God with everything we've got with everything. If the commandment is to love the Lord our God with all, everybody say all. Okay, now say it with some gunction, like, 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 like you put, 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 all, put, put all you have into it, like all of it. If, 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 if the idea of the commandment is to serve God with all, everybody say all. all. Yeah, with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, what does that mean and how do I do it? The command is to love God with all. That's a command that for unrestricted, unrestrained love. The word all here is taken from the Greek word holos. It means whole, complete, holy, or completely. It means with every ounce and fabric and fiber of my being, nothing gone, all exhausted, all in, down to the last drop, last crumb, last scrape of the spoon. Okay, for those of you who, who don't know, I'm going to tell you, my birthday is February 25th. Yeah, that's just my birthday. And uh, I'm, I'm going to break this up a little bit. Father's Day sometime in June. Um, let's see, let me give you another holiday. Uh, yeah, just pick one. I, I, not Mother's Day. It's got to be for me. <laughs> right? It's, it's got to be Christmas, Christmas. Man, a brother loves some creme brulee. That's my favorite treat, man, creme brulee. And so the other night, a good friend of mine who's, who lives in Portland now, Jared Stewart, he was up, man, and man, when Jared comes, it's like, I mean, this is my brother, man. Jared is just the coolest dude. And so Jared and I are sitting at, at, uh, at um, uh, Glacier Brew House, and we're chatting it up, man. We're having a good time. And he's, e he's eating, or he's eating, yeah, yeah. He's eating, I've eaten, we're all full, and the, 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 uh, the waitress brings out the, the menu for the dessert. And I see creme brulee on it. Oh, yes. 
So I, I get that creme brulee, man, and I'm eating it. That thing, listen, if you've never had creme brulee at Glacier Brew House, it is good. Man, I'm eating that creme brulee. I'm eating that creme brulee. And I'm, and I'm telling you, man, I mean, there's, you can barely see like any of the little lines where there's some left because I'm getting every little bit of that creme brulee off, right? And I'm telling you the truth. This is God's honest truth. I thought for my second, I should just lick this thing. <laughs> and then I saw my wife's face. I was like, I, if she was here, I couldn't do it. <laughs> but she's not here. But I didn't do it. No, I didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't do it. Man, listen, that's, that's, how, that's how we're supposed to love God, man. That's how we're supposed to love God. Trying to, I mean, we want every little with every ounce, every fiber, every inkling of our being, man. With all of who we are. All. Everybody say all. all. Yeah. So maybe you not, might not be able to relate to the creme brulee analogy. So, so I got a few analogies for you. Maybe, maybe all for you means the last little ounce of toothpaste. Right? Maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe you squeeze the last little ounce of toothpaste out. Maybe that's what all means for you. Maybe all means the very last bit of the soap. Right? Maybe, maybe you're a guy, this will keep, if you're a guy, man, you might like this. Maybe all for you is making sure that it's absolutely level. Or, or maybe all is the very last of the Windex. You know, or, or maybe all is that new car shine, making sure that every spot is shining. Or maybe, maybe all is making sure you got that perfect cut. You see what I'm saying? Whatever you're obsessed with, whatever you, you give your all to, that's what God wants from us. Yeah? That's what all means. All means all. We should love God with every fiber of our being. The pastor says, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your heart is the center, the core of your being, that's the core of who you are. Your soul comprises of five areas, your, your mind, the intellectual side of you, that your will, your emotions, your imagination, and your intellect comprises the soul. And with all your strength, that speaks to all of our abilities and capabilities and resources. Here's the point. We're commanded to serve God with everything, every time, in every way. How you doing? Because I fail miserably. I do, man. I fail miserably. This last week, I'm going to tell you something. Well, mm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to tip my hand. Okay. Everybody say, praise God for grace. Praise God. Yeah, praise God for grace. So how do we do that? How do we love him? First, the first thing to do is fall in love with the Father for yourself. The old folks used to say of, of, you know, of, of whom I am rapidly approaching, the old folk stage. The old folks used to say, baby, you got to give God your all. You can't, you, and you got to do it for yourself. You can't get to heaven on mama. You can't get to heaven on daddy. You can't get to heaven on nene. You got to get to heaven and get to know God for yourself. 
Hallelujah. We have to get to know the Father for ourselves. I was talking to somebody earlier. Let me, let me tell you how you fall in love with the Father. Let me tell you how you fall in love with the Father. The first, the first way to fall in love with the Father is read his love letter to you consistently. You know what his love letter is to you? That's this. Read his love letter to you as often as you can. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The more you read about, the more you, you can't read this and not fall in love with God. You can't. Have a daily Bible study and, and prayer. Prayer, man. I'm big on prayer, you guys. I'm big on prayer. You know, I told you last week that, that I took some time off, and, um, and so one of the things I did was I got up a little later than what I normally do. I'm normally up at 5 in the morning, every morning, like clockwork, and that's my time with God alone. I wake up the house. I love waking up the house. I love hearing the, the coffee maker come on. I love, you know, opening the refrigerator, and then when I close it, I hear it kind of like, do that thing it does when it kind of gets back up to temperature. I mean, I love that stuff, man. I love being in the quiet. I love listening to the sounds of the house as, as my wife's. I mean, I love that stuff, right? But, I, I, you know, last week I said, I'm, I'm just going to take a little time off. And so I didn't get up to like 7, you know. And, and i got to tell you, man, by around Thursday or Friday, I was feeling that. Now, I wasn't completely negligent. I still had my devotion time, but it wasn't that intense. God, I love you. I want to be intimate with you today. I'm meeting you on a date kind of intensity that I have when I'm in my private time at 5 o'clock. And I missed it in one week's time. You don't know what you're missing until you carve out time to be alone with the Father. That is the best way you get to know him. That's the best way you get to know anyone. That's the best way you can fall in love with somebody is spend time with them. And all the saints of God said? Well, about one third of the saints of God said it. Well, then do, do this. If I'm stepping on your toes, say, ouch, pastor. About one-third said that. That means there's one-third left. <laughs> Maybe I'll get them with this next one. Here's a second. Let your love lead to obedience and not the other way around. Let your love lead to obedience and not the way, other way around. Now, I bought, a, I bought a marker. At least I think I did. Lord, please let me have bought this marker. Oh, one more left. All, your, all the lotion. Okay. You guys have seen the triangle before, right? Okay, I want you to write the triangle out. Now, I already told you guys, don't be laughing at me. Let me see. No, man. man, don't be laughing at me now. I'm not Picasso, but I get the job done, right? So at the, at, the, at the top of the triangle, slow down, Greg. Everybody say, slow down, Pastor. Okay, I believe I will. I know I'm going a little over, but thank you guys for giving me the permission to do that. Okay. So at the top of the triangle is the Father. Down here is identity. And over here is obedience. Okay, and in the middle, in the middle, oh, this is backwards. In the middle is me, me. Well, maybe, that, maybe, maybe that's a Freudian thing where God was saying, yeah, you was kind of disappearing last week, Greg. That wasn't it. 
Okay, so here it is. In the middle is me. Right? God wants us to enjoy covenant relationship with him. He wants us to consider relationship with him just as he considers it with us. He wants us to understand that he is the pearl of greatest price to find and receive everything in him. And when we do, then we find ourselves, me, everybody say me, in the sweet spot of covenant relationship with our father. When we are in the sweet spot of covenant relationship with our father, we find our identity in him as sons and daughters of the father. You with me? And then when we find our identity with him, then that leads us to, out of an act of love, obey him. Listen, I have kids. I tell you, one of the greatest joys for me was when my kids did what I said because they loved me and not because they had to. Yeah? Because they trusted me. Listen, that's how the Father wants us. Father wants us to find our identity in him. Man, okay, let's do this like this. Father wants us to find our identity in him, and he wants that identity to lead to obedience, and then that's where we find his love. Right? It cannot work the other way around. It's like a septic tank. It can only flow one way. Because watch this, watch this. If we try to obey the Father and let it lead to us finding our identity in him, that will lead to legalism. Wow. So the Father wants, wants our relationship to lead to love and obedience. Amen? Okay, a couple of scriptures there for you. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not keep my commandments and then you'll learn to love me. Right? Whoever has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him in the final. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. Someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Yeah? Okay, the second, I'm getting ready to wrap this up. The second command is equally important, Jesus says. He says, love and serve your neighbor. Love and serve your neighbor. Love for God and love for others is not mutually exclusive. You can't compartmentalize love for God and love for others, you can't compartmentalize them. They're one and the same. Okay, let's have another illustration for you. So, so I'm just full of illustrations today, huh? So I've got these two glasses here, right? And I'm, oh, I'm experiencing the love of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, I'm experiencing the love for my brother. Hallelujah. But I don't love God. It's just a superficial love. It's a brotherly love. It's a phileo love. It's not an agape love. You guys with me on that? I can never be complete and whole until I combine the two. I can never be full until I have love for God and love for my brother. 
And that's the reason why Jesus combined the two. For he said, on these rest all the laws and the prophets. He said, love the Lord your God with everything. And then love your neighbor as yourself. I think I'll have a drink of water. Okay, getting ready to close. Paraphrase this pastor's scripture found in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. When you love your neighbor, you fulfill the requirements of God's law. Write that down, read it later. I, love, I like this out of the New Living Testament version. It says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, Galatians 5, 14. Here's the second point. Loving and serving others is evidence of God's love for us. I paraphrase this passage, too, found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth of that love by our actions. Why don't you stand with me? Mitch, you wanna, guys want to come up? I want to challenge you this week to check your cup. Is the glass half empty? If you're an optimistic person, is it half full? And if it is, first check your relationship with God, and then check your relationship with others, your neighbor, those around you who God has called us to love. And then I want to challenge you to do two things this week. Seek ways to demonstrate God's love to someone you know. And I want to challenge you to make it not about somebody in the church. Do that automatically as your brothers and sisters. Find someone who doesn't know God. Or find someone that you have a question on whether they've ever embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ask God to open the door for you to love them the way that Jesus loves you. Amen? And the third thing I want you to do, if you love your church, invite them to church. One of the best ways for people to experience the true love of God in a broad context is by seeing the people who you're hanging out with who are changing your life and meeting them. Who knows? They might become that person's best friend. I, don't hope, I hope they don't kick you to the curb. But you never know. Some of you are in here today because someone you knew invited you here. Invite someone who God wants to express his love through you to, to join the family here and see what God will do in their life.